Pavo is a professional development platform designed to meet learners where they are by providing engaging learning experiences, peer learning opportunities, and coaching. We don't just teach you new concepts, we help you apply those concepts in your day-to-day -day work life. Welcome to Kavu's 16th Minute Podcast. I'm Rebecca Dobrinsky, the product owner for Kavu's content team and the host of the 16th Minute. At Kavu, we use the term 16th Minute for topics that come up during our 15-minute daily scrum but need more of a discussion. It's a great way to let your team know that you need a bit more clarification on something you're working on or simply need some time to talk through an idea. Let's get this episode 16th minute started. Today's guest is Mandy Coker, marketing strategist and co-founder of O3 Solutions. Mandy and I have worked on a number of projects together over the years, including TEDx Birmingham. Since we both work in agile environments, we understand the importance of creating as much value as possible while creating content. Mandy Coker is a co-founder and the VP of Education and Engagement for O3 Solutions, an agile project management software company for the construction industry. She has nearly 20 years experience in brand management, demand generation, market education, and event management. Her entire career has been focused on helping early stage software companies grow market share. She's familiar with the challenges of educating a market on emerging technologies such as web portals, predictive analytics, and cloud-based applications. She also serves in volunteer roles as a strategic advisor for multiple events in various industries, including entrepreneurship, women in leadership, and construction technology. Welcome, Mandy. Hey, Rebecca. So this is something you and I talk about a lot, making sure that everything we create has multiple uses and multiple lives. However, it's not something I see a lot of people doing, or at least I, they're not making it obvious. How did you come to this idea of multi-use content, or have you always worked content this way? I would say, really, this is something that I've always done, and I credit my first mentor in marketing for teaching me this trick that I just always assumed was something everyone did. One of the first things that you learn in marketing is that people learn in different ways. So some people really take to visual content like graphics. Some are more auditory and like things that are like a podcast. And then others learn kinesthetically or by touch or feel or demonstration. So whenever I started looking at the content that I was creating, I always tried to create different types of content that would appeal to all of those types of learners. And I also started early in my career working either in very tiny teams or alone. And I was forced to be creative to learn how to do more with less. So what are some examples of creating multi-use content? One of the things that I learned early is that the best process is to start with a really meaty piece of content. So an example of that might be a webinar or a PowerPoint presentation or a blog that is maybe around 300 words or more, that gives you a good landing spot to start from. And I will create a home for that particular piece of content, usually on a website. Then I will think of all the ways that people might consume that. So I might have a webinar, for example, and it starts in that, that mode or that particular medium. So that's already in a video or, or visual form, but then I might take that content and make it into an infographic or something that is more like a downloadable piece of content 
or a blog. And then I might look into other ways I can repurpose that either as a podcast or those types of things. So the last bit is you really think about people that are more kinesthetic or demonstrative. And then you want to look at how can they interact with that? And traditionally, webinars are more someone speaking at you. So a way that I've seen that works really well is interrupting and either doing a poll or a quiz during a webinar so that you really start to interact with your audience. And then after all of that has been created, it really just becomes these companion pieces to each other. It becomes almost like a package of information. Then you have to promote it. So you can see how you start with one webinar and you can continue to build out all of that content based on really just that one original piece. Yeah, that's for me. And like we, like I said, we've had lots of discussions about it. That is really where we've been moving to at Kavu is to making sure that we don't create things that just stand alone. And, you know, we're a startup and you've been in the startup world for a while now. What do you think the impact of multi-use content when you're early stage and have maybe three or four people working at the company is? What is what is that impact and that benefit? One of the things that will never change, especially with early stage companies, is that you really are challenged with a smaller budget and less resources. In some cases, it may just be you trying to deliver everything you can for marketing. So one of the things I learned early on is to not recreate the wheel of a bunch of times. So an example of that might be as I'm creating a campaign for, as I mentioned before, all of those pieces of, of material that are, are complementary to each other, I create one visual for that campaign. So it might be a photo and a headline, a certain image treatment, and I reuse that on every other piece of content that has something to do with that campaign which really saves time. Another thing is it doesn't make me have to put strain on other people because they need to focus in that early stage as well. They're expecting you to do marketing and you can't pull them off of other projects. Oh yeah, we both know how notoriously short staff and scarce funded startups are. So how does creating multi-use content help non-marketing focused founders? Well, when you create one piece of material and then you build a campaign around it, everything really becomes rinse and repeat. You've got your graphics, you've got your visuals, you have your headline, you have your key points that you want to make. Now it's all about delivering that content in a different way. And I may have to have one meeting with someone from the product team, for example, or the leadership team to get the concept in play, or maybe I'll reach out to get an outline done. But once we've got that one piece of core content done, I no longer have to interrupt them or ask for follow-up. They can focus on building and selling the product or recruiting and retaining staff and not having to continuously give me input on how to do the messaging or the graphics. I also know that you've had the experience of going from being the single marketing person to building out marketing teams. How does the practice of multi-use content help scale the marketing team? In the beginning, you're not going to be able to do every single program that you can dream of as a marketer. You just can't. You have to focus on the core needs. 
So I mentioned before the three different styles of learning. One way that you could focus is only create one piece per learning style. I tend to recommend a splashy graphic, maybe one downloadable one-page sheet or data sheet, and then a web page with links. That way you're hitting all three of those learning styles, but it's not creating a ton of work for you. Then as the team scales, you can look at what your strengths are and hire the skills that are not in your core strengths. So for example, you might not be the best graphic artist. You might not have the training to do great web design. You could get there with your current skills, but as you scale, start to build out those specialties. And then another important part is to really create a foundation. Don't consider anything that you're doing in the early stage as throwaway work. Everything should build on each other. So if you create those core pieces of content and you make those into templates, now you can save tons of time and create brand consistency, which is huge in the long run, but also super cost effective and time saving. And again, as we both know, since we do tend to work similarly to one another over the years, uh, despite its importance and its value, marketing tends to end up being a want to have or a contract out for many startups. Kind of a, if you build it, they will come mentality. Why should early stage startups bring in marketing and communications earlier rather than later? 20 years into this game, I would absolutely say never do that. <laughs> it is so important in the early stages, not just for your clients or your prospects, but also for the employees themselves to create a recognizable identity. That first impression is super important to people that you're recruiting as well as your clients. The more professional your company looks, the more credibility you're going to have in the market. So you could have tons of brilliant people behind the scenes building your product, but you have to be able to demonstrate to the market that we have those brilliant people on the team. And in a lot of cases, that is done visually and in your content. It's really difficult in those early days to explain the who of what your company is because you're really learning and growing as you learn more about the product and learn more about how it serves your market. Also, in these early stage companies, and I have lots of historical data to prove this, pivots do happen. You learn more. You may, two years down the line, not even be selling the same product anymore. So when you introduce an outsourced contractor or company to help you with your messaging, it introduces a lag and you can't afford to move that slowly. Generally, if you have an in-house person, it may take you two days to be able to pivot and change messaging and update graphics. But if you have to outsource that to another person or company, you could be looking at a week or even two weeks to get that change introduced. And you may have a really important company or client meeting and you don't have those two weeks. Yeah, it it is so easy to outsource. And I've watched companies outsource and be successful. And I've seen companies that either get it not quite there or even bomb with their outsourcing. In your experience, where's the sweet spot of bringing marketing in-house? So I mentioned that I'm a big believer in having a marketing person there from day one, but sometimes that's, that's just not an option based on where you are. 
branding can be outsourced. So if you think about the logo, the fonts, the colors, those are the kinds of things that an outside person can easily help you with. Once you get into execution for marketing, consistency is vital. Uh, many people know that it takes roughly seven touches or interactions before you really start to build a brand identity with a person. The important part that no one seems to grasp is once you turn on the machine, you can't stop. And it's very hard to start with a very consistent, say, three or so emails a month and then go radio silent. If you start back up in two months, you might as well just start over again. So mm -hmm. I would recommend that you're very deliberate when you move the company out of stealth mode. So that's when you have a market-ready product and or you're launching a, a new product. Be very deliberate about what your plan is and don't start until you're ready to support. Some tips that I usually give to people is I recommend at least two emails per month and three social posts per week. But do know that generating that much con content and keeping up with the messaging is really difficult to manage with an outsider. And then final thought here, culture is king. People buy from people. So if you are not incorporating who you are as a company, the problem you're trying to solve into the personality of your brand, you're going to stumble along the way. It is very difficult to explain who you are as a company to an outsider and then really get it. So how else do you think folks can keep their marketing teams agile? I've worked in agile now probably a little over 10 years, and that's both on product and software solutions, as well as actually having an agile marketing team. In the beginning, uh, you couldn't have paid me enough to try to run a marketing team in an agile process, but now I wouldn't go back. In my opinion, being agile is really all about planning ahead. You have to plan far enough ahead to understand what your due dates are, what the scope of the project is, any of the resources that may be required, and those can be team members, budget dollars, any kind of content that you need to get started. And then you need to identify your constraints early. So that could be turn time if you are ordering materials or if you need any kind of content from a specific resource that may have bandwidth constraints. You also need to understand any of the other materials or resources that you might need to be able to hit the scope of what you're going after. You must have enough of a backlog to pull in other work in case you do hit one of those constraints. So we work in two-week sprints, but we plan out and have six weeks worth of work in our backlog at minimum at all times. That way there's no idle time and I can pull in work as we may be waiting on other things to happen. You can't afford in an early stage company to be idle. There's not enough people. There's not enough bandwidth. So the more that you can keep your work steady, the more productive you're going to be. And then, of course, I would be remiss to not mention, uh, because I've worked for software companies my entire life, using software tools that support Agile, whether that's team collaboration, holding people account accountable to keeping within their scope, hitting their estimates and hitting their budgets, and also having a way to work asynchronously. So 
sometimes I may be writing a piece of content that needs review and the reviewer cannot get to it until later that night. If you are having to do everything manually and you're not using a piece of software to help manage that process, you can really lose valuable time. This has been some really good stuff. Um, I'm excited we got to have this chat more formally than, you know, the way we usually do on the back porch going, hey, this happened today. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? So this was really fun. I'm glad you got to join me on the 16th minute. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. So I really appreciate it. And um, so everyone, as always, for more information about Kavu and our educational opportunities, please visit kavu.co. You can send comments and questions about the 16th minute to creators at kavu.co. And thanks for listening today. The 16th minute is brought to you by our sponsor, Sagayo. Start your technology journey and transform your business with Sagayo's innovative business technology services. Visit sagayo.io today. This episode of the Kavu 16th Minute is brought to you by Kavu Benefit Corporation. The 16th Minute is hosted by Rebecca Dobrinsky and is produced by Melissa Blanchard. Audio production is done by Melissa Blanchard and Matteo Antello. The logo was created by Melissa Crochet. And our resident scrum master, Matteo Antello, keeps us all in line so we can bring you these episodes.